This is Relatively Prime. Three scenes from the life of Benjamin Banneker in the mathematical domain. I am Samuel Hansen. Scene one, the clock. It was only the second timepiece he had ever seen. And to those of us alive today, the first we would have thought of as such, as this was a pocket watch and the other, a simple sundial. That Benjamin Banneker had never seen a watch before is not that surprising. After all, he was a teenaged free African-American man in the colony of Maryland in either the late 1740s or the early 1750s. While there were a number of clockmakers who provided their works to farmers in the Chesapeake region, it will likely not come as a surprise that a family where the father is a freed slave and the mother, the daughter of a freed slave and a formerly indentured servant, were not among those clockmakers' clients, though the family's tobacco farm did allow them to be self-sufficient. The most likely thing is that Benjamin found a merchant or a traveler who not only owned a pocket watch, but was willing to let a precocious free young black man take a good long look at it. There is no historical evidence of what exactly Benjamin did when he set his eyes upon the second timepiece he had ever seen, but we can make some educated guesses. We can guess that he was able to get a good look at the workings within. We can guess that he felt fascinated by these workings. We can guess his mind raced, trying to understand how such workings were able to keep time so well that they could be relied upon. We can guess he wanted a clock of his own. We can make those guesses because of what we know. We know that after seeing the pocket watch, Benjamin began to draw out the internal workings of gears and wheels and springs. We know he then worked on calculating the exact sizes and ratios needed to make a clock function correctly. And we know he used those drawings and calculations to make a clock all his own. Fashioned primarily out of wood he carved himself, up to and including the gears. The clock Benjamin Banneker designed and built at 21 worked until he died at 74. Scene 2. The Projection. More than 30 years of working the farm later, Benjamin Banneker learns about and quickly falls in love with astronomy. At first, it's only through occasional discussions with neighbor and noted amateur astronomer George Ellicott, likely with some nighttime telescopic adventures. Never one to do things in half measures though, Benjamin wanted more, which he got in 1788, when George offered to lend him a telescope, some drafting instruments, and many astronomical texts. 
George also offered Benjamin lessons to help him through the texts and to learn to use the instruments. These lessons turned out to be unnecessary as Benjamin took to his astronomical studies so vigorously that he worked through the texts before George could make his way back from an extended business. But Benjamin didn't stop with just going through some texts. No, he moved right on to practical astronomy. As well he should have, considering it a free African-American man in the newly minted state of Maryland to publish six almanacs from 1792 to 1797 and to have a correspondence with Secretary of State Thomas Jefferson. But those happened later, and while impressive and great achievements, there's a smaller one which tells us just as much about Benjamin Banneker. Within the first year of receiving the texts and tools from George Ellicott, Benjamin put to himself the task of making a projection of an eclipse of the sun. Using the tools at hand, his newly found knowledge, and his skill at logarithmic he completed his task, which he eventually sent along to George, who was still away on business. George was understandably stunned that someone with whom he had left some books but not provided the lessons which should have been needed to understand them had produced such a work, so much so that the very small error in calculation the projection contained did nothing to lessen its sheen to him. Upon receiving George's reply though, Benjamin did not agree. He was distressed that he had made any error at all and endeavored to determine just how such a thing could have happened. Which, of course, he did. It turned out that Benjamin was using two books, one from James Ferguson and another from Charles Ledbetter, both of which had correct methods for projecting solar eclipses, but which could lead to errors if they were used in conjunction with one another. Suffice it to say, Benjamin never made further errors in projecting solar eclipses. Scene 3. Puzzle of the Dog and the Hare from George Hopkins, recorded and solved by Benjamin Banneker. When fleecy skies have clothed the ground, with a white mantle all around, then with a greyhound's snowy fare, in milk-white fields we course the hare. Just in the midst of a champagne, we set her up and away she ran. The hound I think was from her then, just thirty leaps or three times ten. Oh, it was pleasant for to see how the hare did run so timorously, but yet so very swift that I did think she did not run but fly. When the dog was almost at her heels, she quickly turned and down the fields. She ran again with full career, and gained she turned to the place she were. At every turn she gained of ground as many yards as the greyhound, could leap at thrice and she did make just six, if I do not mistake. Four times she leaped for the dog's three, but two of the dog's leaps did agree with three of hers, nor pray declare how many leaps he took to catch the hare. Just 72, I did suppose. An answer false. From thence arose I doubled the sum of 72, but still, 
I found that would not do. I mixed the numbers of them both, which showed so plain that I'll make oath. Eight hundred leaps the dog did make, and sixty-four the hare to take. And that is all the time we have for this episode of Relatively Prime. If you want to learn more about the life of Benjamin Banneker, may I suggest Silvio Bendini's The Life of Benjamin Banneker, which is available to borrow on the Internet Archive, or you can check it out from your local public library. Or if they don't have it on hand, may I suggest The Amazing System that is Interlibrary Loan. This book was absolutely essential in putting together today's show. The music on this episode is from Chris Zabriskie, Rodrigo Gonzalez, Griffin Lundin, and Dirty Porcelain. You can find links to all of their work in the show notes for this episode on relprime.com. Also, I want to make sure to thank all of my patrons on Patreon. Without y'all, this episode and the last 40 or so or more than that even couldn't have happened. So thank you. If you want to support the show like they did, you can head on over to patreon.com slash relprime and pledge whatever you can afford per episode. Finally, Relatively Prime is licensed under Creative Commons Attribution Share Alike license. So you can feel free to do whatever you want with the sounds on this episode, as long as you say that you got them from Relatively Prime and that you license them in the same way. Thank you all so much for listening. And like the month before last, and the month after this, I hope you have a math-horrific month. Bye, y'all.